Hey, so we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes all throughout the summer, right? Probably 12, 13 weeks. And the title of the sermon series is called Under the Sun. And I want to say right off the bat, this book, this book is difficult. There's almost only one thing that all commentators agree on, and that is this is a very difficult book. If you read any introduction work, they all agree on that. It's very hard. And so I want you to know we're going to work hard. Like, for instance, there's a, there's a verse in uh, chapter 7. Listen to this verse. And if you just took it by itself, by the way, reading it in, in uh, context doesn't always help. For instance, it says, be not overly righteous. Okay. Yeah, don't be overly righteous. And, and do not make yourself too wise. Okay. Be not overly wicked. I mean, I guess a little bit of wicked's fine, right? Neither be a fool. I don't know what to do with that. I still don't know what to do with that, but we're not in chapter 7, right? Um, there's a text in, in the book of Ecclesiastes that says it's better to be a living dog than a dead horse. Well, I guess that's true, but what does that even mean? I think I have a thought. I don't know if that thought's right. I mean, it's, it's like madness at times when you're reading and working through the book of Ecclesiastes, but I think the theme Man, you'll see. I want you to know right from the, the get-go that this is, at times, if you're reading it properly and understanding it properly, a dark book. Depressing. You're like, oh, I'm so glad you chose this for our summer series. <laughs> um, it doesn't have a kind of K-love feel to it. You know what I mean by that? Right, Word FM. I mean, I'm all for that. That's good. As a matter of fact, I heard a testimony this morning about a guy who's here today who got saved by Chuck Swindell preaching on... Uh, the, the radio of Word FM. And so I'm like, i got to quit mocking these things. Um, so thank you, Lord. If you like grunge music, 90s grunge music, you're going to like Ecclesiastes. Because it's much more like that, right? It, it's, it's not K-Love, it's, it's grunge. It's, if you like Hallmark shows, right, where everything has got like this, they're all the same. It literally is Groundhog Day. You know there's going to be a little tension in the beginning, and there's going to be a conflict in the middle, and at the end, everyone's going to come around, hold hands, and sing Kumbaya. Like, this is not your book. It's not your book. If you're like me, and you like Breaking Bad, I think you like this book. Better Call Saul, whatever. You're like, can pastors watch that? I don't know whether we should, but I do, and I think it hits reality probably more than most Christian movies. I'll tell you, speaking from personal experience, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it's a poetic book. It's wisdom literature found in the Bible. So you've, you've got Proverbs, and you've got Ecclesiastes, and you've got Job, and you've got Song of Solomon, right? Um, they're all wisdom literature, but they're all different, right? A lot of people, who here likes Proverbs? Oh, yeah, tons of people love Proverbs because generally A plus B equals C most cases. And, and, and Ecclesiastes turns that all up on its head and says, no, it's not exactly like that, right? And, and you need all of these books to actually gain wisdom because Job brings in wisdom, but he brings it through the lens of great suffering. And so we need all of those. Um, this, this is some really good stuff. I got to tell you, I, I generally read Ecclesiastes four times a year. Um, I always read it when I'm on vacation, which is weird, but I do, I, and I take my time through it, and I enjoy it. I've always wanted to preach through the book of Ecclesiastes, but I've always been a little bit apprehensive to do that, a little nervous, a little bit, ugh, sweaty palms, anxiety, heart kind of beating, because I love it so much that I want you to love it, 
And I want you to see it. But I got to tell you, God in his kindness would not let me preach this when I was young. I would have butchered it. I mean, it would have been a nightmare, right? I, I think this, you, you have to have suffered some if you're going to preach this book. If you're going to teach this book, you have better suffered. It's kind of like, I was talking with a friend this morning, it's kind of like rap now and country now. For the most part, it's pretty plastic. I don't really believe them, right? It's kind of like, eh. I mean, there's some good stuff out there. It's very rare that you find it. But for the most part, for the most part, for the most part, what you'll find is it's like, I think someone else gave you these lyrics. And because you're pretty and you might have a nice voice, you get to sing it. But I don't believe you. But old country and even old, let's call it gangster rap, you're like, I know that this is true. I know you're singing this from your heart. And Ecclesiastes is like that. And I think if you're going to preach it and you're going to teach it, you have had to have felt it at some level. If you've lived long enough, you have. Not everyone's going to understand it. I got to tell you, I think this is the best book for 20-somethings or early 30-somethings to understand, read, grasp, and get a hold of. Because it will literally, now if you're like, well, I'm not 20 and I'm not 30, well, I'm not either. And so it's still good because it's the Word of God. But, but, but I think the earlier you can get this by the grace of God, it will literally change the way you look at life. And it will give you a profound understanding of life under the sun, right? Um, so before jumping into our text this morning, I'd like to kick it off with a little bit of poetry, okay? And, I, you know, you're like, do you like poetry? I do. Now, this is not classical poetry, so don't expect Shakespeare, uh, Robert Frost, or, or even Langston Hughes. It's none of those guys. And you're like, I don't even know them. I don't know either. I looked it up on Wikipedia. I said, classic poetry. But it is classic nonetheless. So, ready? And by the way, if you know it, don't start reading it aloud with me. And you'll know that I've skipped some sections because it would take too long to read it all. Ready? Yeah. All right, this album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I'd never amount to nothing, to all the people that lived above the buildings that I was hustling in front of, called the police on me when I was trying to make some money to feed my daughter, it's all good, and to all the homies in the struggle, you know what I'm saying, it's all good, baby, baby. Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, when I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. 50-inch screen, money green leather sofa. Got two rides, a limousine with a chauffeur. Phone bill, about two Gs flat. No need to worry, my accountant handles that. And my whole crew, lounging, celebrating every day. No more public housing. Think back on my one-room shack. Now my mom pimps an AC with minks on her back. And she loves to show me off, of course. Smiles every time my face is up in the source. We used to fuss when the landlord dissed us. No heat. Wonder why Christmas missed us. Birthdays was the worst of days. Now we sip champagne when we thirsty. Ah, oh, damn right. I like the life I live. Because I went from negative to positive. And it's all good. It's all good, homie. And if you don't know, now you know homie. And on and on and on. You know very well who you are. Don't let them hold you down. Reach for the stars. Who knows this? Handful. In case you have not quite figured it out yet, that is classic hip-hop poetry brought to you by the notorious B.I.G. or Biggie Smalls or what his mom would call him, Christopher Wallace. 
I got to tell you, for the most part, this is what people love to hear. What is it? It's a story of redemption, right? I mean, this young man grew up in the projects. His story is profound. It's amazing. And it ends with, well, in that story, him sipping on champagne and enjoying life with all his friends lounging. But here's the problem. That actually isn't how his story ended. It ended in the early hours of a Sunday morning on March 9th, 1997. I actually remember it very profoundly. I was a business student living in Pittsburgh, and this hip-hop artist was shot four times dead by a drive-by shooter in Los Angeles, California. I remember it because as a lost man, that's the kind of poetry I listened to, and I loved him. Man, did I love him. Him and Pac, loved them both. And you're like, I thought this was about Jesus. It is. But this is how poetry works. This is how the book of Ecclesiastes works. It's strong medicine. And you've got to let medicine have its work on you. It doesn't just bring healing right away. And so this is how life works under the sun. I mean, it's, it's frustrating. Sometimes it seems very meaningless, doesn't it? I mean, we, we all die because of sin. And this is the writer of Ecclesiastes' problem with life under the sun. It just seems like, what's the point? What is the point? For instance, entertain me for a moment. Take a deep breath. Hold it. Let it out. That, my friends, is your life. That's your life. It will pass by that quickly in comparison to all of eternity. Which leads to the question, what is the point? What's the point of life? Is there a point? Is there anything to be gained by, you know, gained, profited by this crazy life? Well, here's a fun fact, and then we will get on to Jesus. Biggie's debut studio album was titled Ready to Die. Ready to die. I'm going to die. And don't freak out. I don't have some terminal illness or disease, at least that I'm, not, that I'm aware of. You could have it right now, right, and not know it. Okay, but not that I'm aware of. But I'm going to die. Ready? You're going to die. I don't know when. I don't actually know how, but I do know that I will. I'm going to die, and so are you. And so if you and I are going to have a proper perspective on life, we better understand we're going to die. Right? Because only if we have a proper perspective on death can we actually have a true understanding and perspective of this life. It's so important that you get it, right? Um, only if you prepare to die can you truly live. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is going to teach us. Many other things. So with that cheery little introduction, let's jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Verse 1. We're going to be working through the first 11 verses today. Um, This is called the prologue, right? The introduction. And I'll explain a little bit more. But let's just read the first verse. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So, the preacher. Notice, um, who wrote this? There's speculation on it, but can I just say it was either Solomon or a Solomon type. And what I mean by Solomon type is somebody later on gathered all his, if he had some writings or in his journals, and they put it together and they actually wrote a a memoir about this man's life. Or he himself wrote it. It doesn't matter, but it's it's Solomon. That's really what you need to hear. And you're like, well, who's Solomon? Well, remember King David, 
right? Man after God's own heart. Well, he did a thing. And his thing was with a girl named Bathsheba. If you don't know the story, get to know your Bible. Hang out with us more. You'll get to know it. And the thing was bad. And it led to a guy named Uriah being capped out on the battlefield dead. Okay? Now, because he did this, right, he and Bathsheba had a baby out of wedlock in, in adultery. And that first child died. Died. But they had another baby. And guess what his name was? Solomon. Solomon. And so that's the man we're talking about. And so he gathers his thoughts. And, and Ecclesiastes is his exploration of the meaning of life. That's really what it is. It's what it is. So let's, let's get to it. Um, short word on the structure. I don't generally talk about structure when I talk about a book in the Bible. I just teach it without actually explicitly saying it. But I do think it's important that you get it in this particular book. So the first 11 verses of chapter 1 are really a narrator right? The words. He's talking. He's setting the stage. And, and then in chapter 12, which is the last chapter of this book, in verses 8 through 14, it's the epilogue. It's just the closing out. But everything in between that, so from chapter 1, verse 12, all the way through chapter 12, verse 7, is what they, the word would be called koheleth. Well, what is that? It means gatherer, it means gatherer, assembler, teacher. He's gathering all the thoughts, and he's gathering all the people, and he's going to teach them, here's what I've learned, right? So when we see preacher here in our ESV, by the way, we look at the ESV. If you look at a different translation, that's great. Um, but preacher is the word we're looking at. Think of definitely much more teacher, gatherer, right? But in the assembly of God's people. So it's like he's having church, and he's explaining, here's what I've learned. So what does the preacher say? By the way, verse 2 is the summary of all that he's learned. Ready? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That is his summary of life. Now, that's not very encouraging, in case you're not paying attention. Uh, imagine for a moment... Uh, we have graduation at Seton Hill University, right? We have a couple of Seton students that come here, right? Woo -woo. And someone gets up to give his or her commencement speech, and they get up, and, and they just grab the mic, and as the NIV would put it, they say, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then they drop the mic, and they slowly walk off the stage, and they pull up a seat. What would the, what would the atmosphere be like? I would love to find out. So if you, if you get to do this, let's do this. Um, what would it be like? My guess is that the, the people, I think, would be a little disoriented, a little bit confused, very quiet, a little bit of murmur. They'd be like, what did, what did he say? What did, what did she say? Mean, meaningless? That's it? Is this a joke? When are they going to get back up? And they never get back up. And everyone's left to wonder, is, is that really it? Or imagine you came in on a Sunday morning and you asked, one of the plum kids, how you doing? How you doing, kiddo? And they're like, meaningless, meaningless. <laughs> Everything is utterly meaningless. What would you do? Like, we got to get, get some, we got to get a pastor over here. Let's start praying. We're going we're gonna to get some care for this kid. You would try to encourage them, right? Tell them it's going to be okay, buddy. Let's get some ice cream. Maybe that's why you never find this verse on a mug at the Christian bookstore. You don't ever find this on a placard. Because um, these words don't sound encouraging. You know why? 
They're not. They're not. By the way, the word vanity or meaningless comes from the Hebrew word hebel or hevel, um, which, by the way, just means breath or vapor, smoke, right? So if it, if it helps you to think about that, I'm a visual guy. Just imagine smoke coming up or, or vapor coming up off the lips of a teenager smoking a vape. Just imagine it. It's here, and it's, it, there's substance to it, but you grab it. You can't put it in your pocket. You can't, I can't store this up for later. It's gone. It's just kind of meaningless, but there's, there's something to it. Life is like that under the sun. In so many ways, life is fragile. We try to get our hands on it, and as soon as we think we do, it slips right through our fingers. You ever felt that? Like, I think I got it. I've arrived. I've got enough money to do the things I want to do. I've got, you may never have had that moment. I've had that moment, but boom, it's gone. Just in an instant. Life is like that. By the way, that's why I don't think meaningless is a great translation for Hebel. Um, one commentary writer says enigmatic, right? So you'll notice point one. Um, it says all of life is enigmatic, right? The best translation, I think, is that because what does that mean? It really does mean ungraspable or incomprehensible or, or, or maybe difficult to interpret or to understand. It's kind of mysterious, right? It's, he's not saying it's all meaningless. It's just, it's so hard to get a hold of. It's so hard. I, I try to grasp it and I can't. And, and you know that life is like this, right? Like we all know somebody who eats like kale and, and like nuts and leafy greens and all the things and takes the vitamins and half a hobbit but doesn't have hairy feet. I'm married to her. I mean, and I say that with kindness. I mean, I love that she makes like good kale salads. I never thought I would say that, but she does throw some bacon in it for me, right? And some good dressing. But we all know that person, and yet some of them, many of them still die from cancer. This doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. And then we also know the person who eats, and I'm, I'm going to, like, there's a, a pastor who always talks about the Edo's diet. I, I'm not the one to come up with this, but it cracks me up. Like Doritos, Tostitos, like Taquitos, Fritos, Doritos, right? They have the Edo's diet, and, and then they, they, they wash everything with, down with Mountain Dew. They smoke three packs of Marlboro Reds. They, they, like, turn down for what? They just don't get sleep. You don't need sleep. You sleep when you die. And they live to be 98. And you're like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I thought if I did the thing that I would get the outcome. That's what I read in Proverbs. Well, man, he's going to have some fun with you. He's going to have some fun with you. There's no formula to a great life is what he's saying. <laughs> a plus B doesn't always equal C. Sometimes it equals seven. You're like, what? It's not even a letter. I know. But that's really what he's saying, right? We can pour our whole lives into something or even someone, and it might succeed, but it might fail. It might fail. You might land the career, I mean, this is what you've dreamt of from the time you were a kid, in the absolute city of, or country of your dreams, right? And you move there, and, and, and it's like, this is the greatest. You're on Instagram or whatever the thing is now, and you're just flashing pictures up, and everyone's like, this is amazing. I know you've wanted this your whole life. Isn't that cool just to have the company file bankruptcy in six months, and you're dead float, flat broke without a job and in a city you can't afford? And you're like, why? Why would God bring, let's, let's put a Christian twist on it. Why would God bring me to this city, this job, to have that happen? Why would he do that? 
You don't know. You know, you, 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 you might raise your children on veggie tales and the Bible only. That's their diet, right? And have them to grow up, not love Jesus, OD on heroin, and die at 15. Or you, you could be a heroin addict yourself. And, and you could do a terrible job with your child. And that child gets taken from you, put in foster care. And now in foster care, they're raised by a pack of wolves. And that kid could grow up to become a missionary to the unreached, unengaged people group all over the world. Life's like that. It just doesn't make sense. How much control do you have? I'm not asking how much control do you want. I already know that answer. I'm asking how much control do you have? I think the younger you are, this is a blanket statement. It's not true for everybody. The more control you think you have. (laughs) The older you get, the more you realize, I mean, I guess I could wake up each day and brush my teeth. That's a good idea. I got some control, maybe, kind of, sort of. But over the things of life that matter, Nope. Nope. Not at all. That's what Solomon's saying. How about point two? Life under the sun is complex and messy, sometimes brutally so, but there is beauty to be found in the battle. So look at verse three with me. Look at verse three. What does man gain? That's his question. Gain, profit, something to show. There's something left over. There's surplus at the end, right? What does man gain by all his toil? That means work, labor, sweat equity, at which he toils. And notice the phrase, under the sun. Boy, you better get this phrase. You've got to get this phrase if you're going to understand this book, right? The, the phrase, under the sun, is actually going to come up numerous times. Um, 29, 28, 29, depending how you look at the interpretation. It has the, the meaning of everywhere in the world that the sun hits, including caves, right? Because you can be a real smart aleck and be like, what about the bottom of the Pacific Ocean in the Mariana Trench? There too. Sun doesn't hit that. Okay, you get my point. Under the big glowing ball in the sky on this thing we call planet Earth, right? He's meaning life under the sun. (laughs) To see things under the sun, by the way, is to look at them from ground level. Right, that's really, that's the point. Um, it's to take an earthly point of view, not a heavenly point of view. Uh, it's, it, it's for now leaving God out of the equation. And, and I know it feels uncomfortable. We're in church. We can't do that. Right? Well, trust me, there's a God who rules over the sun, but you've got to feel the weight of this. And I'm tempted to take you off the hook real quick, but I don't want to. And so bear with me. Bear with me. The preacher's a straight shooter. He's looking to get a good return on his life. Uh, you, you get that, right? That's why you get up. That's why you work. I, I remember uh, growing up, Pap Rising, my, my granddad, no one actually told him. He grew up during the Great Depression. No one actually told him it ended. Nobody. Homeboy had seven kids, right? He built like three homes. He had coal trucks that ran during the day. He had a garage that he owned. He would work at the garage. By the way, lunchtime, awesome. He had leather couch, or not couches. Well, he did have a couch, but most of them were recliners, leather recliners for all his employees. I had a little one. Can you imagine it? It was cool. And we would hang out, and at lunch, the world shut down. 
and everybody got lunch, and everybody grabbed a drink. It was a bottled Mountain Dew for me, and you would sit there, and for an hour, guys would smoke cigars. They would enjoy their lunch. They would talk about life and philosophy. They didn't use that word, and they would enjoy. And if you came in and you had a real emergency, you had to wait. You could have lunch with them. My granddad would offer it to you. He would buy even, but nothing's happening until one o'clock. This is what we're doing. This is life, right? Well, he was a cheap fella. He really was. So he'd asked me if I wanted to do some work. I was like, sure. And so I was foolish because I never asked, well, what does it pay? And so he would tell me my jobs and he'd give me a list. And I would work all day long only to go to the porch where he had a little rocking chair and he'd be sitting there smoking a King Edward cigar that was about as big as me at that time. And it was time to pay. And I'm like, ooh, when are we going to get paid? Because I want to buy some things. I got some ideas. And he would open up his wallet and, and seriously, like, it would be like, and like a puff of like dust would come out. He would take out a dollar bill and rub it till his fingerprints were gone. He's like, do this, make sure nothing's sticking together and hand it to me. And my grandmother, who is the most generous woman I've ever met in my entire life, would stand back and say, oh, for Pete's sakes, WB, give this young man some money. He's like, you know how hard I work for that dollar, right? And he wouldn't give it to me for a long time. As he got older, he did. Is it worth it? That's what, he, that's what he's asking. Is what I'm doing really accomplishing anything? I, I want to know. If I put in the work, will I get the thing? Will I get the American dream? Will I land whatever that is for you? We all want something to show for our hard work. And, and by the way, to answer this question, the preacher, the teacher, he's going to actually recite a poem for you. And you'll find the poem in verses 4 through 11 of chapter 1. So I'm going to read them now. And I, I want you to think about it, right? And, and don't quit thinking today. Like, chew on this. Enjoy it like a meal. This isn't a hot pocket. Go home. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. It takes about 37 minutes for me to read it from beginning to end. Try it. I think you'll really love it. But read it. Think on it. Muse it over like a good meal not a hot pocket, right? All right, okay, ready? Generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Note, note this, not comes and goes, that would sound like progress. Nope, a generation goes, that's where he starts, and a generation comes. Doesn't sound like progress. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. So now he's thinking about creation, right? The wind blows to the south and it goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. Do you see it? There's a lot of action, but nothing's happening. I mean, listen... Solomon would have looked at the Dead Sea. And if you've never seen it, it's stunning. It's spectacular. I actually got to take my 240-pound chubby frame dad bod in it and float. And it was awesome, right? Because you can't sink. It's just, it's, it's amazing. On the beach, you don't have sand. You have salt. And, and there's like Europeans just rubbing it on each other. Like, it's just amazing. But could you imagine just Solomon just looking over the, the sea, there's nothing in it. It's dead. All the streams run into it. Nothing leaves it. It's dead. This is life. This guy needed a hug. 
He needed a hug. Look what he says next. And if you don't get the poem, get this. All things are full of weariness. Can I get an amen? It's, it's just an, it's another day. A, a, a man can utter it, right? The eye is not satisfied with seeing. I mean, right? Like, think about your little electronic device. I'm talking about me too, right? Like, maybe another video. Nope, nope. You're not going to be satisfied. Nor the ear filled with hearing, right? Like, TikTok, right? Netflix, another CD. We, we just need another season of, I don't know, Grey's Anatomy. Because 19 years of just surgeries and sex and it's just not enough. Just need another one. It's the same thing. It's Groundhog Day. I know because we're in it right now. We're in it. My wife's like, this is next season. This will be the good one. It's the same thing. What has been will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Oh, yeah, well, we went to the moon. Yeah, but you still looked at the earth. You didn't get real far. Right? And some of you are like, we didn't go to the moon. I was like, okay, let's talk at lunch. Right? Like, is there a thing which can be said, see, this is new, a Fitbit? No, not really. It's already, it's already been done. It, it, it's nothing new under the sun. It has already been in ages before us. Think about fashion. Like right now, it's like the 70s are back. But then if you go some other place, the 80s are back, right? Like it's all been done. There is, by the way, listen, he says, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. What's the summary? Well, if you had to preach just that with nothing else, here would be your title. Nothing changes, nothing is new, nothing remains, and nothing will be remembered. Amen. I mean, gosh, we're born, we live, we die, you'll be forgotten. You're like, no, not me. No, you. I'm telling you, you, right? Who here, there'll be one, I know it. Who here can name their great, great grandma's name and what she did. Great, great. Just start with great, great. Okay. I thought for sure we'd have one. Like, I did the family tree. I know where we came from. Adam and Eve. We traced it the whole way back. Right? Like, but you don't even remember your great, great grandmother's name. You will be forgotten. Now that's either going to depress you or cause you to think. It happens just like that. Your life is a puff of smoke. Now, I can hear some of you right now, not really, but you're like, boy, this guy's such a pessimist. He's really not. He's really, the more time you spend with him, he's not a pessimist. Now, I would say he's definitely not an optimist. <laughs> the glass is not half full for this guy. But I would say this, he's a realist. He sees life under the sun properly. People love to talk about progress, don't they? Right? Especially at election time. Economic development, technological advancements, evolutionary improvements. But can I just tell you, it's all a myth. It's just, in, in, in all seriousness, it's, it's a myth. There's really never any real progress. It's just the same old, same old. And, and if you just hang around, you can just watch it repeat. If you live long enough. Most of us don't. But if you study history, you'll notice it. Which is why you got to notice verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new 
under the sun. I mean, we hate this mantra. We don't want to believe that because each generation works desperately hard to prove the other generations are wrong, right? You can see it. And, and I think there's good. That's good. You shouldn't just like cash it in and be like, I'm done. <laughs> it's over. If you get that, hang in there. There's more to the message, right? But Whitney Houston sung a song once, uh, and she talked about how our children are our future. But let's be real. Can we just be real? Whether it's the silent generation, right? Um, I think there might be people before that, which is like the great generation that's alive, but probably not. Silent generation, I think we got that represented here. I won't tell you who. You can figure it out. Boomers, I think we got maybe one or two boomers. Generation X, which is the greatest generation. Millennials, Gen Z, or Gen Alpha, which I guess is a thing now. I had to look that up. They come and they go, every one of them. One generation may be rising, but at the same time, another generation is actually just dying off. And guess what? As you've heard it before, there's no U-Haul behind the hearse. We just live in a cul-de-sac of death. Happy summer. In these days under the sun, it is unavoidably true that we live in a life that is repulsively repetitive. And I know I can get an amen real quick from some of you. Laundry. You get the laundry caught up, huh, Jess? And there's more. Sarah cleans her room and brings down all of them all. There it is, right? Um, guys, mowing. Mow today. Better be ready to mow tomorrow. It's Groundhog Day. You wake up. Someday the sun's shining. By the way, P Pittsburgh is the third cloudiest city in the United States as of 2022. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, the third cloudiest. And we're only like a few days off from winning, right? So come on, clouds. I, I mean, if you're going to be there, you might as well win. What's the difference, right? Seattle won this year. But um, it, it's repetitive. It's, you just see it. The sun goes up. It goes down. It's chasing its tail. It'll be up tomorrow. The wind... A lot of work, a lot of hustle, a lot of this. You're going to lay your head on a pillow tonight. You're going to get up and you're going to do it again. Monday is just around the corner. It's just around the corner. You just do some stuff in between sleeping. That's it. That's what he's saying. So it's imperative that you and I from the start grasp that you will eventually die and be forgotten. I think we got it. And, and the reason it's so important that I took the majority of our sermon time to hammer that home is because I'm convinced that accepting death is the first real step to learning to see the beauty in this life under the sun. And you're like, tell us how, because like right now, I'm like, I wish I wouldn't have come here. <laughs> All right, let's get there. Let me quote a, a, a writer. Um, he says this, the function of Ecclesiastes is to bring us to the point where we begin to fear that such a comment or a commitment is all vanity, is the only honest one. So it is, if everything is dying, we face the appalling inference that nothing has meaning, nothing matters under the sun. The phrase under the sun is what we got to learn. 
it's so important to notice because we begin to realize that if we're going to have real and lasting joy, you and I have got to look beyond life under the sun. Oh, we live in a world that is looking for life under the sun. But can I tell you right now, it's no different than the boomers. And I hear boomers all the time say, well, yeah, but back in our day. Like, and that's how they say it too. Um, and I love them because we have our own little things that we say. So we shouldn't pick on each generation. Uh, we should be kind to everyone, right? I'm hopeful for millennials because I'm hopeful for the God that rules over millennials. Just hang in there, right? But can I just tell you something? Every generation thinks they've got it right. Boomers thought if we put in enough work and if we do this thing and if we do that and we have some morality sprinkled in, we'll live the good life. Well, I think what has happened is a lot of our generations now have looked at that and said, well, it still ended up in a really bad place. So we won't work as hard. We won't do the thing. And we'll just live life right now. Turn down for what? Eat, drink, be merry, because for tomorrow we die. They're actually closer to the book of Ecclesiastes. But guess what? Both of them are seeking satisfaction under the sun, and it's not going to work. So guess what? If we live long enough, you're probably going to see it turn again. And guess what they're going to do? Well, that ain't working. What do we got to do? Work hard. And it's just, it's just repetitive. And if it doesn't happen in America, it happens all over. Because there's countries all over right now that have taken the American dream ideology from the beginning, and they're applying it devoid of God. And they're actually seeing that they're making some progress. But it's not real progress, although their bed might be more comfy. They're still going to die. That's the problem. That's what the writer's getting at, right? So, thankfully, we have the whole Bible. <sighs> Hallelujah. Like, like, when we look back to Ecclesiastes, we don't look back devoid of the good news of Jesus Christ. We look through the lens of Christ and the cross and the resurrection. Ecclesiastes isn't the actual last word. The, the book of Revelation is, <laughs> right? And we ought to read that. And everything in between, it's so good. But we got to look back, but we look back through a gospel lens, which is why the last point is that real and lasting gain is found in the Son, capital S-O-N, not under it. <laughs> How everyone needs that message. Elon Musk needs that message. You know, some of the most happy, wealthy people in all the world. They may actually be happy right now. That's next week. I'm getting into next week's sermon. I can't wait. Um, but it doesn't satisfy for long. And some of them are the most depressed people ever. Why? Come back next week. We'll talk. L looking above the sun is the only way to actually find real and lasting meaning in a wearisome life. You've got to get above creation to the Creator. It's where you need to fix your mind. You need to look to Christ. It gives us a right perspective. Is there anything new? That's, that's what he's asking. Is there anything new? Well, we can say as, as gospel people with all the Bible and understanding the redemptive work of Christ, maybe not under the sun, but in the God who created the sun and sovereignly rules and reigns over it, absolutely. Because this God makes all things new. He makes all things new. And therefore, we do not need to be a despairing people because we worship the God who will make all things new.
So you've got to keep the New Testament in your head. You've got to keep the gospel in your head. And matter of fact, you've got to look to the end of the book. I hate spoiler alerts too. But you should go there and look at chapter 12, verse 7 and on. Because he's going to say, hey, before you just pull the plug on this 11, 12, 13 week sermon series, you've got to know, I do have the answer. There is a conclusion. And you might want to know it now because you can't stand this for another 11 weeks. And what is it? Well, fear God, worship Him, keep His commandments. That's life. And if you do that, guess what? You'll find life and meaning in everything under the sun because this God doesn't waste an ounce of it. Oh, that sounds better. I like that. I like that. So maybe it is more like Hallmark. Mm, I don't think so. So I want to read a text for you. We're going to land the plane here shortly. Romans 8, 18 through 25 is where I want to look. And I'm just going to read it. Um, I might give a little commentary on it, but I want you to just hear the Word of God speaking into this futility, okay? So Romans 8, 18 to 25. The Apostle Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from this bondage of corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as the sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Not hope that is seen, that is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What's he saying? He's saying, by the way, the word futility here is the same word as, essentially as a hebel. It's, it's just... It's meaningless. It's futile. He's saying you who are in Christ are going to go from groaning to glory. That's your future. I don't think my future looks bright. If you're in Christ, your future is super bright, right? Life's wearisome burdens will not last forever. You gotta, you gotta pound that into your head in seasons of difficulty, in seasons of suffering, right? We live in hope of a new day, not just this day, not today. You might actually have a great day. You might go up there to Tasty Treats or whatever it's called and get like an $8 thing that's really good and it's full of chocolate and peanut butter. I love those, right? But, but then something terrible might happen. You know, that happened this week, having a good week, sun shining. There's a church that I'm connected to and deeply love. And and during one of their uh, outreaches to a college ministry outreach that gets about 1,500 students, they had a shooting and two of them died. And it's not a distant thing, it's a close thing. I've been to that church. As a matter of fact, that church was so impactful in my reasoning for church planting. And so I'm grieved to hear. I'm just grieved, but But that isn't ultimate reality. There's a hope. This life is hard. Ecclesiastes won't take you off the hook of that. It's going to hurt. But if you'll stay, you'll realize we worship a God who promises to make all things new. 
That's what I need. The same God who sent Jesus to, to think, just think about this, to live under the sun, to live, to put on flesh. He stepped down from his throne in heaven where angels sung his praise, holy, 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 24-7. They sung his praise. He stepped down. He humbled himself. He put flesh on in order to what? To suffer on a cross, to die for sinners under the sun that he created as the sun was going down. He willingly chose to die. Why? So that the Son of God could rise from the grave as the same sun that he created was going to rise on Sunday morning. And when he did that, he did that so that he could triumphantly create a way for all sinners to come near to the God who has created all of you and me to enjoy life with him forever. He's come that we might have hope. And because he lives, so lives your hope. Your life isn't just about what's under the sun. But if you live in the sun, then let me tell you, everything under the sun has meaning. Including laundry. Because the Apostle Paul says, whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, you must do all things to the glory of God. How do you do that? How do you suffer to the glory of God? And if you've never thought about that, you better think about that. Because much of your life will be suffering. If you only glorify and magnify Jesus when things are going great, you're not magnifying Christ, you're magnifying comfort. How do I magnify Christ in suffering? You've got to get your head above clouds. You've got to get your head from out, from underneath, under the sun, and look and fix your gaze upon the sun. Because you will become what you behold. And as you behold Christ, what you'll realize we have a good God. We have a good God. And nothing comes through His hand that He doesn't intend for good for those who are in Christ. He will work all things to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. So even your suffering can be turned not inward but upward to praise to the God who will make all things new. For those who are in Christ, death is actually not the end. It's a stepping stone. And it's a stepping stone into the present and ultimate future of living life with God forever. That's what your future holds. And then and only then will we be able to look. We won't have to look this way and that way for something to satisfy us. You won't. Because you'll be fully, completely satisfied. Why? Because you'll actually be saturated with the glory of God. You and I have maybe tasted that on our best day. Maybe you've tasted it. And if you have, praise the Lord. But can I just tell you right now, that will be your absolute reality forever. In a glorified body, in a glorified place, in the new heavens, in the new earth, you will be glorified and enjoy the glory of God forever. And only there, and only in Christ, is that then true and ultimate life. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And he doesn't mean wait till you die. He means now. He means now. But guess what? Even on your best day, you're going to still say, what's the point? Which is why you better not go by your experience or your feelings. You better fix your mind on the truth of God 
who makes all things new. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, <laughs> we give you praise that life under the sun is not all that there is for those who are in the sun. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and putting on flesh and living the life that you and my friends, like that we could never live, but you live perfectly. You obeyed the Father perfectly and you willingly went to the cross to die the death that we deserve to die because of our great rebellion in trying to find satisfaction in the created order and not in God Almighty who is the creator. Because of that sin, that rebellion, oh, all of life is so hard. Thorns and thistles, everything seems to war against us because we're warring against you. And instead of squashing us like a grape, you sent your son to be crushed in our place upon a cross as a substitute so that we might be able to enjoy the delight of God Almighty instead of the wrath of God. Because on the cross, Christ received the wrath in our place. And all who trust in him now have complete and utter perfect forgiveness. We have perfect righteousness. And because we have perfect righteousness, we can enjoy life with you and enjoy your gaze, your delight upon us because Christ rose from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and giving meaning to all of life that is found under the sun, knowing that this is just temporary. But what is eternal is life with you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Help us to understand the book of Ecclesiastes. Give us humility to stare at it, to be read by it, and to be changed by it. For your, for your glory, for our good, we ask this in Christ's beautiful name. Amen.